When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess. For elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Hey Marcus, What's up, have Ray? you seen the uh, have you seen the entry codes for the Imbalance Hot Tub Time Machine? I have not looked at them yet. I was going to kind of jump into it blindly. I, oh, you got the codes because I've been trying to figure out how to fire this thing up because we have to go back in time to a year which was most fertile in rock and roll history. The bands that were formed, the albums that were released, the things that were happening in 1971 in the year of our Lord. My Lord, it was unbelievable. Oh, my sweet Lord, it was unbelievable that year. I see what you did there. And, uh, and that's pretty clever for a kid who turned five. You turned five. You were like Luca's age. Yeah, it was my son's age. And uh, wow. So this is kind of all like pre your whole rock and roll understanding of the world. This is all happening for me. I turned 13 in the middle of it in May. And so this is the point in time where I go from being the total geek to being the geek with a cool record collection. <laughs> wow. It's kind of like your rock and roll bar mitzvah. You're 13 and all this stuff comes out. Holy shit. Mazel tov, my friend of the tribe. You understand. <laughs> It was quite an eventful year. There were a lot of things going on in the world and in rock and roll. Oh, did I mention that this is the imbalance history of rock and roll, that I'm Ray Coob and he's Marcus Goldman, a.k.a. Marcus in the Darkest? Hello. And we are traveling back a long ways to 1971, truly an incredible year. So what was going on in the world wasn't entirely incredible, although a lot of it was unbelievable, right? You know, the expansion of the Vietnam War you were talking about. Not only were U.S. forces in Vietnam at that time, U.S. tide was turning against Vietnam, but the U.S. made some bad moves by going into Cambodia and Laos and invading there. This started to turn the tide. The silent majority started to speak up behind the Kent State shootings in 1970. And the music did a lot of the talking of what was going on in the world of music. Uh, John Deacon joins Queen, formally making them the band that would later dominate rock and roll. Uh, it was the launch of Rolling Stones Records, a joint venture with Atlantic Records. In the summer, we'd lose Jim Morrison. But musicians and music would give hope to the people of Bangladesh, war-torn and famished. Uh, there was a concert held in New York City, George Harrison, the main guy behind that, pulling it all together. It was an interesting year for things surrounding all things Almond. One of their most popular albums, if not their most popular, and one of the most popular side projects by their guitarist would precede his death 
in 1971 talking about the one and only Dwayne Allman. What a loss to rock and roll that was. His loss was monumental in rock and roll. Such a beautiful guitar player, and boy did his guitar speak, man. Rock and roll history, one of the biggest years, I think, as far as importance goes, because of some of the albums we're going to talk about, some of the rock and roll moments we're going to be discussing, and some of even the political events, because don't mistake the fact that the world events didn't have an impact on the music and the rock and roll direction at that time, because it did. Art always has some form of politics or political messaging or uh, vibe in it in some way, shape, or form. Before we dive into the albums that made 71 great, can we talk about a few bands that got their shit together and formed? We can, definitely. Like who? I don't know, this band that was a bunch of guys from all over who met in California, connected with all the right people as soon as they got there and went on to sell more records than just about anybody, including Jesus. Are you talking the about Eagles. Yeah, the Eagles. The Eagles. <laughs> if you're from Philly, that's what we call our football team. But they were amazing. They, they formed in 71. So did Foghat, a band that has proven the test of time with different members, but they're still out there. Also formed in debuting Wings, Paul McCartney's new band, uh, the New York Dolls. I didn't realize they were on that list. They formed in 71. And to go to another side of the out there coin, Mahavishnu Orchestra, also formed in 1971, uh, often seen as the spark that starts uh, jazz fusion and rock all working together. And a band that played in that playground, Steely Dan, formed in 1971 after meeting at Bard College. And I have one that I want to ask you about. This is Vinegar Joe put out their debut album in 1971. Do you know who the singer of Vinegar Joe was? I have absolutely no idea who Vinegar (laughs) Joe was. I didn't even know of Vinegar Joe until you mentioned Vinegar Joe today. It's only one of your favorite singers. Really? Mr. Suave, Robert Palmer, was the singer in Vinegar Joe. Wow. Really? Most people are saying, what the fuck is wrong with these two? But we'd geek out on little things like this. Oh, absolutely. And some of the other important bands that formed include the Split Ends down under. And they were part of... I saw that too, yeah. They were part of the whole uh, Kiwi Australian rise in the alternative scene. Roxy Music formed in 1971. But let's talk about a form that was vital then. More vital than it was now. Those of you who are current uh, vinyl collectors... You have no idea what $5, how much joy it could bring to your life in 1971 because you might have been out there buying your new favorite album from your new favorite band or you might have been buying the new album from your favorite band and it all happened in 1971. In the space of 12 months, the number of albums that influenced rock history that were released starting in January are unbelievable. Can I start? I guess we can start. I mean, there's some seriously insane bands. Well, first off, Janis Joplin's final album, Pearl, is released after her death the previous year. Also, just a few days after that, was the release of the first album by ZZ Top, creatively called ZZ Top's first album. (laughs) On the same day as ZZ Top's first album, Little Feet releases their self-titled debut. But the day before that, one of the most prized albums in my collection is the collaboration between John Lee Hooker and Can Heat called Hooker and Heat. I play it at the Vinyl Nights at the Brewery, Marcus, and it is just pure generational crossover blues man 
But look at the rest of January. You got all these other amazing records coming out. Bands like Chicago, Poco, Uriah Heep all released an album. The Man Who Died on the Throne released an album in 1971. He pretty much started off 71 with the record. His album is Elvis Country. I'm 10,000 years old. Other than a couple of those releases, Elvis and Janice and a couple of things that people knew, maybe that wasn't really looking like this most incredible year of releases. Then you get to February. Stayed in bed all morning just to pass the time. There's something wrong here, there can be no denying. One of us is changing, or maybe we've just stopped trying. And it's too Carol King, who worked in the Brill Building with Jerry Goff and wrote so many songs you can't believe it. We're going to have to do an episode about those two sometime. Yep. Releases Tapestry. One of the greatest albums of all time. Right there in the winter of 71. It really sets off a fire for her. And when we were doing our prep for this, one of the things I just saw was her first concert came in 1971. And most people would say, oh, was it Barney's Beanery or some small bar in Iowa? Her first concert was at Carnegie Hall. That's how instantaneous her flash was onto the scene. Everyone in the music scene of the 60s and early 70s knew her, did her songs, already loved her. So that added a layer of push, I guess you'd say, out there. Uh, another singer that would sing her fair share of Carol King songs, Carly Simon, puts out her debut album. I remember the Carly Simon and Carol King albums. My parents were both big fans of the two of them, and Tapestry was played all the time in our house when I was that age. It was one of those albums. I still played the album because it's so damn good. The fact that it's so timelessly strong says a lot about her songwriting, and I agree with you. I think we should do an episode on Carole King and Jerry Goffin and that time period in New York with those songwriters. Yes releases their second album in February, the Yes album, creatively titled, and it would set the stage for the arrival of that Rick Wakeman uh, when they got around to making Fragile in the next year or so. David Crosby goes solo with the appropriately titled If I Could Only Remember My Name. <laughs> Speaking of creative titles, Soft Machine really reached for the title of their fourth album. They called it Fourth. <laughs> Neil Young and Crazy Horse make their debut Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oof. Now, why was Crazy Horse Crazy Horse in those days? Because... I always knew them as Neil Young and Crazy Horse. So when did that transformation happen or when did that change happen? Instant research team on the fly. Well, they'd already started working as Neil's backup band. And this was their chance to do their own record, do their own thing. I think they did it a couple times. I think we'd have to look deeper when we're doing the whole episode about Neil and Crazy Horse mm -hmm. uh, sometime. But... That's pretty cool. An Earth, Wind, and Fire's arrival. Bands like uh, James Taylor and the original Flying Machine debuted in February of 1971. You also had Cool and the Gang doing Live at the Sex Machine. I did not realize that they had been around that long. I thought they were a mid-70s band. Well, they had hits through the 70s, yeah. and they, they were around for a long time. And on the sexy side, Johnny Mathis released Love Story, which is a... An album that was played in my house. So, When you get around to March, the posthumous release from Jimi Hendrix, The Cry of Love, hits. And a lot of people at the time thought pretty much that this is where Jimi was going uh, as a, an artist because so much of the recording that had been done was turned into this album. What we didn't know was that all the moves that were being made behind the scenes at that point in the, the breach, really, of his passing... And the cry of love became the first, but certainly maybe not the most indicative of what Jimmy was really thinking of. That's where I'm 
telling people to go listen to Valleys of Neptune again because that's where he was going. But it is maybe my favorite Hendrix album, and I didn't discover it because of the hmm afterwards in 71, 72, 73. Same day as Cry I Love, you had Elton John release the album Friends, which was a soundtrack. never saw that movie i don't think anybody ever saw it but i'll tell you what it did the song friends gave him an international hit and at the time it was really significant for still developing elton john in 1971 one of the events of 1971 actually is two things i'm talking about the release of both love it to death and killer by Alice Cooper. This is the prime middle of the guts when they were the hottest band with the nastiest attitude on the planet. The attitude was real. The facade was real, too, because as it turned out, in his quiet moments, Alice Cooper was always a pretty cool guy, right? Funny dude, too, and a hell of a golfer. Hell of a golfer these days. Uh, The best golfer and a really good Jeopardy player. Also released Mudslide Slim and the Blue Horizon uh, the early taste of James Taylor. Jethro Tull's Aqualung released on the same day. That album had so many great songs that became both popular FM radio hits and what we call the deep tracks, the turntable favorites. And on the same day as Jethro Tull's Aqualung, Leonard Cohen released Songs of Love and Hate. And while he's not quote-unquote rock and roll, his influence in the rock and roll spectrum is gigantic, and his music Wait a minute. has touched everybody. Leonard Cohen's not rock and roll? Uh, I, I, that's news to me. I've always said he's the most rock and roll folk singer there's ever been. I'm cool with calling him rock and roll, okay. but people I, I don't think people associate him, Leonard Cohen, in the rock and roll family tree where they would uh, associate Bob Dylan in the rock and roll family tree as much because of all the different things that he did over the years. But Leonard Cohen's influence is gargantuan. The strings on that album put together by Paul Buckmaster, who would go on to work prominently with Elton John, who we were just talking about. And it also features the work of a young Charlie Daniels. Little known facts that you learn here on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. We're talking about 1971. And I think this is a little easier for me because I was there. You were a little guy like we talked about at the beginning (laughs) of the episode. I was four or five years old. And it's hard even for me sometimes to recognize... Uh, where we are in the timeline for some of these bands. Like Humble Pie puts out Rock On in 1971, and I hadn't heard of them yet. I really wouldn't hear of them for a little while longer because of where I was in my rock and roll revolution, but there they are, you know, part of the, the release onslaught that is 1971. Moth the Hoop will release Wildlife. You know, stuff like Mungo Jerry that you heard on the radios in seventy was released in the seventies was released in seventy one. A very w- unknown Kinks album called Percy, a very low key Kinks album, I would say, a soundtrack to a movie, which I've never even heard of that movie either. But you have key releases from people like Donny Hathaway, his debut album, and the Isley Brothers giving it back, uh, an album that kind of introduces them to a whole new group of young suburban white kids. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young deliver their four-way street live album. Elton John did a radio concert, and it was released as an album. It was so good, 171170. Do you remember so that? Did... Do you remember that radio concert? Did you hear when, it when, when it, it aired? Happening? Oh, yeah. No. Okay, oh, like man, I didn't know I if it came to I, Philly whoa, or whoa, New whoa, York. Whoa. I wasn't hip enough to know that it was on WABC New York. I don't know. I figured, I mean, those types of events, <laughs> they were big radio events in those days. So I didn't know. And Philly being a big radio city, I didn't know if you guys had access to it here. Because I know in Podunk, Denver, we didn't. Well, I'll tell you, I used to listen to WABC as a kid, but I wasn't all dialed in at this point. I was 12, 13 years old and mm-hmm. was really just starting to discover music. And I really, other than hearing Friends, I heard that on uh, the Top 40 at that point. I didn't really know that much about him. I discovered this album when I started listening to MMR and uh, really found out more about Elton John from listening there. Hey, 
let's not forget that some really great albums that we we do know a lot about came out in mm. april stevie wonder releases where i'm coming from <sighs> what a beautiful album part of the golden years of stevie wonder the doors final album in my mind la woman is released and it is still one of the most amazing records of its era because the way that the doors developed along with the technology for recording it is a pinnacle for them and i wonder no matter what else we want to discuss about it, that if jim hadn't died just months later what would have happened next but this at a moment was their moment and it was the music that was on the radio the moment when jim morrison died we did an episode on The Doors quite a while back, and yeah. we encourage you to go back and check it out because we did talk a little bit about the L.A. Woman recording and the final days of The Doors and went into a little bit more detail than we are here. But that album, huge. And the fact that he died just a few months later as that album was really, really starting to take off is just shocking and surprising to this day still. I always say that rock and roll is a compilation of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you have that here in the April releases, including the debut of Rolling Stones Records, the release of Sticky Fingers from the band. What can you say about what this was as far as launching the record label and also being the next in a string of goddamn amazing records that they put out one after the other? and uh, the chance to start their own label and launching the stone's tongue logo is one of the most recognizable brand logos in the world my mom would not let us have that album in the house until we were about 14 years old because of the album cover i kid you not she was totally nuts like that and i'm like what it's a great album and my brother was a huge rolling stones kid and he was like i want that album and so we had to get a copy of it on cassette from one of our friends and listen to it that way. Well, it's funny because 1971, Christmas that year, is the year when I make the full transition to being an album kid and 45's become my past. What a great year to be inspired to get Seriously. into buying albums, right? Yep. And a few days later, right after the Rolling Stones released their album, Thin Lizzy releases their yeah. debut records, just paving a blazing path for the few years ahead that they're with us. A lot of formations, yeah. a lot of things coming together. And from there, you have a band called the Doobie Brothers who released their debut record. What the Doobie Brothers would become isn't all apparent on this first record, but here it is, a debut album from a band that starts a Hall of Fame career. And even after, you know, Tom left, they continued with Michael McDonald and, and they found ways to keep their music and their vibe going, still out there doing it now. Well, not now, but when things reopen, the Doobie Brothers will probably be one of those bands dying to hit the road. And the fans come every time. That's all I'm going to say. They still bring it every time they play live. I saw a band that released an album in 71 called The Flaming Groovies, and I thought that was a cartoon. I have no idea who they are. War released their debut album. The Flaming Groovies, man. You, If you were old enough to know them, you would have loved them in time. Go find them, dude. I will definitely go find them, but I always think of a cartoon. I don't know why. That name just makes me think of a cartoon. But you, Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> But a few days later, War, I think, released their debut record. Well, it was the debut album called Just War. It had yeah. been known as Eric Burden and War since he left the Animals and formed the band. But, you know, they had really established it as their own band. And with Eric not doing it, anything with them on this record, they decided they were going to make it their own thing. And that's when they became separate from him, let's say. Ah... And on my birthday, when I became a teenager, that Oki, Leon Russell, and the Shelter People released their album. It was his second album, but it was their first album with the Shelter People, and it had some pretty cool songs on it, including one that I play on my syndicated show all the time, uh, Stranger in a Strange Land. A while back, we did an episode on Bitches Brew by Miles Davis, and some of the bands that came out of that were pretty impressive, including the Mahavishnu Orchestra and Weather Report. And right. Weather Report released their album 
in May as well. And of course, everybody's favorite hard rocking band, The Carpenters. They released an album that ah! year. <laughs> Marcus, just like me, they long to be close to Hugh. I don't know who <laughs> Hugh is, but there you go. Who's Hugh? They like to be close to Hugh. Oh, God. I'll tell you who put out uh, their album Relics in 1971. Pink Floyd. I think they also did metal, too. They did. Both metal and Relics came out that year. Do you remember when Relics came out? Were they on your radar at that time? No. My psychedelia at that point was Iron Butterfly and Cream and that kind of uh, direction. Gotcha. And I didn't really get into Floyd until I started hearing Dark Side of the Moon like about 10 million other kids at the time. Cool. Paul McCartney's collaboration with Linda McCartney comes out that month too, Ram. Uh, really great album that was often underestimated over the years, and I just think it's one of his finest things. And he did everything except for sing her parts. Mm-hmm. And right after that, Aretha Franklin released a great album, a live one, live at the Fillmore West. And a few days later, one of the most important albums of the year and the decade was released. Yeah. And we've talked about it, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. This album is huge and so important. Barry Gordy heard the opening single and said, that song sucks, it will never be a hit. And sure enough, it was a huge hit. One of the few times Barry Gordy was wrong. Also coming out right in that window is Songs for Beginners, solo effort from Graham Nash that includes the song Military Madness. On the same day, Rod Stewart releases his No, I'm Not Leaving Faces uh, third solo album. (laughs) (laughs) Every picture tells a story, and every song told a story on this amazing fucking record. I remember hearing Maggie Mae as a kid and just being blown away by that song. But you listen to the album, and maybe we should do an episode about this thing, because it starts with Every Picture Tells a Story. You know, got Maggie Mae into the mandolin wind, I Know I'm Losing You, Find a Reason to Believe, amazing fucking record of my youth. Do you remember when that album came out? Do you remember? That was one of those that you really remember well from that time period? I have the single, Maggie Mae, Mandolin Wind. Also in 1971, one of his most memorable recordings. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. It's not warm when she's away. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. And she's always gone too long. Anytime she goes away. Wonder this time where she's gone. Wonder if she's gone to stay. Bill Withers puts out his album, Just As I Am. It is the imbalanced history of rock and roll, and we are digging back to 1971, a mammoth year for record releases. Well, by this point, Marcus, I'm a teenager, and it's summertime. Summer in the suburbs, not the city. Mm-hmm. And lived in the suburbs. <laughs> and albums start to come out like crazy, like Emerson, Lake, and Palmer's Tarkus. There's a lot of mainstream hits uh, early in the month of June. But my girlfriend, June 22nd, Joni Mitchell's Blue is released. Do you remember listening to that album as a new record? No. I probably heard it on Gene Shea's show first because I listened to Gene a lot uh, when I started trying to understand what was going on uh, on FM radio. Lots more music, because, man, we're only, you know... Halfway through 71. We're not even, but we're getting there. (laughs) Budgie puts out a debut album. Big, big album. I'm late to the Budgie party. Got into them in the late 80s, early 90s. Ahead of their time. Way ahead of their time. We had albums from bands like Hot Tuna, the Flying Burrito Brothers. And Grin. Grin featuring Nils Lofgren. Uh, one of my favorite albums of that time. Hey, 
Long John Baldry, Link Ray, two people that have influenced a lot of people in the rock and roll family tree, and we owe Link Ray an episode without a doubt. We definitely He's got to be part of an episode about the ravers, I call them. There's all those guys like him and Eddie Cochran, you know, Nelson, yeah. Eddie, all those guys. They were badass. That would be a fun episode to do. We'd have to do a lot of listening and uh, swinging before we uh, talk about that. The Supremes release an album there in June of 71, their 23rd studio album called Touch. They released so many albums in such a short period, which shows you how powerful the Motown song machine was. And that wraps up an unbelievable month of releases, like almost 30 albums of significant mention, you know, in the month of June in 1971. And I'm exhausted, man. This has been a great episode. Are you ready to call it a day? <laughs> uh, episode what? We're only halfway done, dude. You get what? a pause. You get a pause for the cause. Oh, the thirst. You can feel it building as we're doing the first half of an episode. But, man, I really need this pint in my hand that is brewed by Jeffrey in the back room right there at the brewery at Crooked Eye in the heart of Hatboro. I know you love your favorite brews there too, buddy. Absolutely. Which uh, pint do you have in your hand? I'm holding a pint of the Burrow Blonde, which is a nice cream. Oh, that's really good. It's a nice, lighter-tasting beer. I like the ESB, the Extra Special Bitters, uh, because of my affinity for it. And I've rarely found anything that even remotely is like the British bitters I originally fell in love with, other than what Jeff brews there at Crooked Eye. Yeah, some good beers at Crooked Eye. Another one to check out if you like ales is the Golden Eye. It's a clean ale, man. It is so nice. There's all kinds of flavors and all kinds of things, ciders and all kinds of beverages for you right there at York and Montgomery in the heart of Hapro, Crooked Eye Brewery. And the entertainment is going on, too. Marcus, they've moved the Blues Night to Wednesday nights. What? Yeah, Wednesdays at Crooked Eye. And it's always fun online or in the brew pub. Stop by or fill up your growlers in your crawler. Make sure you check out Crooked Eye Brewery's social media pages. That's where you find out if they have any new beers coming. If whatever's going on, it will be put on their social media pages. So check out Crooked Eye Brewery's social media pages. And the website is crookedeyebrewery.com. A great place, a local place that you can take with you. So take some with you wherever you go and spread the crooked eye love like we try to do here on the podcast. Wow, man, I didn't realize how thirsty I was. Thanks for uh, calling me to the to the curb, so to speak. For... <laughs> you bet. But, you know, because we still have a whole another half of 1971's album releases to talk about. The first thing I have to talk about is released on July 6th that year. The Allman Brothers Band, live at the Fillmore East. It's actually called At the Fillmore East. Most of us have referred to it through the years as Live at the Fillmore. And people know what you're talking about. That black and white cover of the guys sitting on their on their gear. And I, there's a whole story. we got to do an album uh, dig into this because there's a whole story about that cover and the way it came together and why it isn't what you think it is and all that. It's kind of cool. But live at Fillmore East, the Allman Brothers' energy was crackling that night. All I could tell you is that I'm glad that Dwayne did it all in the time that he did because this album stands as a tribute to some of his best work. Dude, it's a magnificent live album, one of the greatest ever recorded. And you're right, it was one of those nights where everything was magical, everything came together, everything was in sync, the sound crew was in sync with the band, yeah. the band was in sync with each other. It just was one of those nights. The MC5 released their second and final album, High Time, on the same day that the Allman Brothers do that. <laughs> Maggot Brain, Funkadelic in the house. Oh, this is the summer album. of 71. It's the beginning of the mothership getting a little bit more funky. Oh, yeah. And with bands like Sly Stone and so many other great funk bands moving and grooving, something as edgy and different as Funkadelic's Maggot Brain. 
Just a, it's a whopper of a record. Check it out. Right in there with that, it's Master <laughs> of Reality from Black Sabbath. You talk about musically like diverse and bipolar times, man. Right in Sweet Leaves on Air, Into the Void, great stuff. Another episode that we did that I think is one of our best is the one about the Moody Blues. They release on July 23rd, Every Good Boy Deserves Favor. Quite a day for releasing records. July 23rd, 1971. Can I run them down for you real quick? There's like 18 albums on the list. I know. Like 18 good ones. I won't give them all, but including Blessed R from Joan Baez, uh, Booker T and Priscilla Coolidge putting out their album, Fanny, Charity Ball, one of those records that uh, collectors love to find. Uh, Deep Purple's Fireball, The Shy Lights have an album, Jack Bruce, Harmony Rose solo record, Tom Paxton, Helen Reddy. I mean, Glenn Campbell, the last time I saw her album, Albert King, The Young Bloods, Isaac Hayes' Shaft. Oh, what, what a huge album. That yeah, album and albums is- from the Guess Who and Shanana, all on one day. Can you imagine <laughs> the manic episodes happening in record stores all across America trying to stock all this? Oh, yeah. I can only imagine that the record stores were nuts, especially if they did well with the advertising and the promotions. Well, the next month, things don't cool off. Zappa and the Mothers released their Fillmore East album, and then the next week, in release terms, check it out on the same day, Mahavishnu Orchestra, who formed earlier in the year to release the Intermounting Flame, the same day as Who's Next from The Who comes out. <laughs> and Al Green released an album that day as well. He did. Huge. The and- funkily titled Al Green Gets Next to You. <laughs> Releases in August from Smokey Robinson and the Miracles and the Beach Boys. Dr. John, Barbara Streisand. Shuggy Otis's Freedom Flight is a fantastic record. He was actually asked to join the Rolling Stones and turned it down because he wanted to do his own thing. Gilbert O'Sullivan, One Hit Wonder, uh, releases there. Conway Twitty, The Atomic Rooster. Who is Howlin that? Wolf's London Howlin' Wolf Session. Uh, a new Riders of the Purple Sage debut. Who's that? Ladies and gentlemen. What you gonna do? Country Rock at its finest, and that's part of the trend in 1971, if you noticed. Ten years after release, A Space in Time, which keeps them in good steed on the radio and around the world. Another good-selling record from them. And also Dave Van Ronk, folk legend, Gene Clark, releases an album, which he would do a lot of after he got done uh, working with the birds. We're in the imbalance, history, time machine. We are in 1971. It's the end of summer. The release schedule is going to be jammed in a year where so many great albums are being released and so much is going on. And they don't wait. September 3rd, Future Games from Fleetwood Mac. The 5th, From the Inside, from Poco. Patti LaBelle's self-titled album. John Lennon's Imagine, all in the first nine days of September 1971. <laughs> the band's next record, Cahoots, comes out a week later. T-Rex's Electric Fucking Warrior. Check out our episode on the original Glam Dandy on the at the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, our website, imbalancedhistory.com. A fun episode, and it gives a lot of clarity on who... That little glam dandy was. End of the month, September 30th, the big release day of every record guy's year because this <laughs> is the this is the fourth quarter results. I'm going to run them down for you, okay? And, and we'll, we'll just jump in whenever you want. Right. Albums on September 30th, 1971, released by Three Dog Night, Moby Grape, John Hartford, April Wine, April those Canadian Wine. rockers, Jefferson Airplane's Bark, Whoa. Buddy Miles, Charlie Daniels debut. He formed in 71, so they got an album out really quickly. Yeah, and John Sebastian. Ah. Free, live, Johnny Cash greatest hits album. Uh, your favorite, Cher, Gypsy, Gypsy Tramps, Tramps and Thieves. Thieves. I love that tune, one that of my favorites. That was released favorite. in yep. 71, too. Yep. James Gang, live in concert. Uh, Jerry Reed, Uriah Heep. Sandy Denny releases a solo record. Wishbone Ash. Steve Miller delivers Rock Love. The self-titled Santana 3. 
Golden Earring, Savoy Brown, and Murray Buzzy Linhart, and the Bee Gees for crying out loud. Enough. Also, Kenny Rogers in the first edition, and welcome to the Canteen from Traffic Alive album. That's like that day we had uh, earlier in the year when there was like 18 records out. Yeah. October doesn't let up, though, bro. Teaser no. in the Firecat, Cat Stevens, the 1st of October. The man was on fire. We had that album as a new album, and I remember my parents playing Teaser in the Firecat a lot. The Jay Giles Band releases their second album, The Morning After, including the legendary Whammer Jammer, featuring Magic Dick on the harp. Uh, Frank Zappa released another album. Man, he was releasing a lot of albums at that time period, creating some incredible music. 200 Motels is what he released. But he had to. But he yeah. had to, Marcus, because it was the movie soundtrack. And they had to have a soundtrack if they were going to make a Mother's Adventure movie, right? True, true, true. <laughs> but he, I mean, he just was putting out insane amounts of music in that time period, and it was really good music. Very funny, very poignant, and very relevant. But the music underneath it was also very brilliant as well. We get message from the country from the move, the predecessor to Electric Light Orchestra. We get other voices from the Doors, which is the album they were working on when Jim died. Elvis releases a Christmas album, right? On my birthday. Woo-hoo. Yeah, Christmas in October before Halloween. What? Well, that's the way releases went for the holiday in uh, in record world. Then and now, by the way. Mm-hmm. On the same day, Don McLean's American Pie and uh, the album that the fans call Skull and Roses, Grateful Dead self-titled live album was released. This is one of the best live albums that's ever been made. It's not really talked about that much these days, but their versions of Bertha and Mama Tried, uh, playing in the band, uh, me and my uncle, they're all legendary versions, including Not Fade Away, Going Down the Road, Feeling Bad. That version of that song, uh, these are the definitive versions of a lot of these songs. Also released, it's there in my wall. You can come see it anytime, Marcus. It's Chicago at Carnegie Hall. It's five albums in a box set, all live, all the stuff from the first few records. The Jeff Beck Group release, Rough and Ready. The Who release, Meaty, Beaty, Big and Bouncy. Dude, and then the day after Meaty, Beaty, Big and Bouncy, it was a Meaty, Beaty, Big and Bouncy day for you record releases. You just like saying Meaty, Beaty, Big and Bouncy, but who doesn't? But Halloween was such a huge day for music that oh, year. Yeah. Pink Floyd's Metal, Hoyt Axton, you know. Uh, Blood Rock. Don't yeah. skip over Blood Rock. Man. I don't know I Blood that. Rock. Who's Blood Rock? Dude, at the time, they don't mean much now, but at the time, they were one of the hippest bands on the planet. Blood cool. Rock USA it was their country at this point. We were all just living it i've talked about them before lindisfarne release fog on the tyne uh melanie that's right melanie gather me <laughs> little richard the incredible string band cool in the gang john may all released an album that year the vandergraaf generator Jimi hendrix's soundtrack which was another posthumous record yeah rainbow bridge was an attempt to make something in tribute to jimmy but it didn't come off that way. A lot of the public thought it was just that somebody cashing in. And I, I, I got to go back and look at that. I haven't seen that since the 70s. So. I'll have to check that out. REO Speedwagon make their debut. And not such a big splash on the first run. And then Curtis Mayfield right behind him with Roots. You may have heard of Meatloaf. He did <laughs> an album with Stoney. It was, that was the name of the album. Stop. And... Stony and Meatloaf. That's what? how his name was. Yeah. Was it any good? Do you remember it from the radio no. period? I'm just wondering. Nobody, nobody remembers it. That's why it's funny. <laughs> Donny Osmond releases an album. Speaking of funny, UFO 2 comes out. And uh, an album from Country Joe McDonald. <laughs> All on one day. It took us an hour to discuss one day of album One releases. day. In 1971, on this episode of The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, something does happen in November that portends a wonderful future for William Martin Joel. Maybe all the lights are turned on you. Now you're in the center of the stage. Everything revolves on what you do. Ah, you are in your prime, you've come of age. And you can always have your way somehow. Because everybody loves you. Uh, the release of Cold Spring Harbor, which he tried later, Billy Joel, to buy all the copies of. I have one because the master was sped up. 
but the songs were good. And that really is the beginning of, of his road right there on November 1st, 1971. Also releasing in November, Madman Across the Water from Elton John. Led Zeppelin 4, motherfuckers! Yeah, Genesis Nursery Crime right at that same time period. We were just talking about that uh, with Steve Hackett, and you should listen to that episode, and he talks about a lot of the tapping and the, the collective rhythmic sounds of that record. Yep, and how Peter Gabriel was going into World Beat at that time as well, yeah, which is really, it's a fascinating it. time period. So On the 17th of November, the following records are released. Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits, Volume 2, which, by the way, had the rest of all the really great songs. The Birds Farther Along, Gonna Take a Miracle from the Great Laura Nero, and Miles Davis's Live Evil. And the capper, a nod is as good as a wink to a blind horse in the faces, who Rod Stewart still hadn't left at that point. He was just doing those random solo albums to keep his creative yeah. energy flowing. Everything he did at that point was just like in fuego. Yeah, he was. He was hot at that time, period. And then a few days later, Sly and the Family Stone released There's a Riot Going On, and their influence is again on the funk and the soul scene in the 70s is huge because of their hippie free love funky groove did he start getting really weird and reclusive at about that time period as well that i don't know but all i know is that family affair from this record is one of the finest <sighs> songs ever made by anybody and we should look into Sly, and we should look into his whole story but i don't know when he started going cuckoo could have been all along who knows true 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 Right in there, also, the Kinks release, the great Muswell Hillbillies album, which we discussed in our episode uh, about the sibling rivalry between Dave and Ray. Yeah. And then, the arrival of Rick Wakeman in, yes, as promised, <laughs> what seems like about three weeks ago when we started this episode, is the Yes Fragile album there in November. The Sweet release, Funny How Sweet Coco Can Be, on the same day, that the second Alice Cooper album of the year drops, Killer, one of the greatest rock albums of its time and of all time, setting a tone in hard rock with both the texture, the songs, and the attitude there. Do I like it much, Marcus, you think? And maybe just a scotch, just a little bit. Do you remember when that album came out? Were you Alice yeah. Cooper indoctrinated at that point? Because you said you weren't as rock and roll at that time period, or you were just getting into it. So I was just curious if you uh, remember. I, like, I was were you anticipating? Particular. Were you anticipating the release of Killer? Yes. Okay. Um, you got to remember that Love It to Death included 18, which turned us all on to the band. That's yeah. what got me in. Then, right around the time I was all in and ready, Killer came out, Christmas time came, both albums under the tree. So, but yeah, they, they complete the circuit. And then you know what happens when you complete the circuit? Yeah, you're hooked. Sparks fly, baby. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a big point for me. And the rest of the year, still, the rest of November, still packed with amazing records. Like an, a second war album in the year. Glenn Campbell did one with Ann Murray, so he got his second or third album in for the year as well. Carly Simon, who made her debut earlier in the year, comes back with the album that includes the ketchup commercial song. Anticipation. Anticipation is making me late. Anticipation. Yeah, her, her dad, Simon of Simon & Schuster, if I'm not mistaken. You are not mistaken. Black. Moses, motherfuckers. Oh, what a great record. The debut from Bonnie Wright. Not the Hoople's Brain Capers. Whatever that is. <laughs> In that time period, it could have been one of a million different things. There was a band that was searching for its groove for a long time before they found it. Was it Bowie that helped them get the groove with all the young dudes? Is that the song that really... If you jump into the Imbalanced Time Machine with me and we fast forward three years, yes, we can go explore that. Let's do but it. I'm stuck in 71, man, because look, It's a Beautiful Day comes out. Status Quo releases an album. Grand Funk Railroads, E Pluribus Funk, their second record of the year. The second album of the year from Mountain. Uh, Steppenwolf for Ladies Only, The Young Bloods, Olivia Newton-John, Forever Your Girl. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, who uh, is really good, had a big hit with uh, Sunshine. Livingston Taylor, James's brother. It's so hot for James Taylor that his brother is catching on now, right? Mm -hmm. Judy Collins and John Stewart. Commander Cody and the Lost Planet Airmen. Oh, my God. My pappy said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. You like that oh. one, don't you? Oh, yeah. I love playing that one on the radio. We do play that one once in a while here at WMMR. You yeah, you absolutely. Sometimes you just got to go cuckoo. Yep, and from there, one of my all-time favorite records, especially from this year, Traffic's Low Spark of High Heeled Boys. That song is one of my favorite long songs of all time. Perfectly released. For the Christmas buying season here at the end of November. We're in the middle of the last day of November, like we were in the middle of the last day of October for an hour. This list is longer in November than it was in October and in it September. Really is. It might and be as long Nazareth's as And you get Nazareth's debut, another Earth, Wind, and Fire record. Uh, Nielsen Schmielsen gets released. Did the we... Mamas and the Papas and Humble Pies rocking the Fillmore. They're rocking the Fillmore. Mm -hmm. Pictures at an exhibition for members in Lake and Palmer. Quicksilver Messenger Service debut. Roberta Flack and Ricky Nelson. Dion Brewer and Shipley. Uh, Paul Kantner and Grace Slick do a uh, sidebar thing. Mm -hmm. Albert Collins, Kevin Ayers, and Seals. Seals and Cross releasing all on the last day of November 1971. And we still have one month to do, dude. Can you do it? Can you finish? You know what? December looks like an afterthought compared to the last days of each of the last couple of months in 1971 with so many things, except for one thing. These fucking albums are some of the best that you're ever going to hear. The debut from the Electric Light Orchestra. Mm -hmm. And on the same day, King Crimson releases Islands. And what Crimson did on this album, as far as stretching the boundaries, is worth us digging into them just for this album. Wings debut, having formed earlier in the year, with Wildlife. Badfinger releases straight up, and an album that we both adore. For me, it's the jump-on point for my lifelong love of David Bowie, Hunky Dory, December 17, 1971. And just in time for Christmas, the Rolling <laughs> Stones released their greatest hits, Double Record Hot Rocks, which is what yep. indoctrinated us to the Rolling Stones. Even though we'd heard them on the radio, that was the first album that was in our house. Also, following up the concert, quickly put together and released in time for that same Christmas week buying was the concert for Bangladesh with George Harrison and a long list of friends. But right after Christmas and before the new year, it's A, release day. End of the month. Mm -hmm. The debut from America. Pretty damn good album. Really good album. Records from Boss Gags and Wilson Pickett. Dynamite from the Supremes and the Four Tops. But uh, then you also have Redbone, Carol King, her second album called Music. Papa John Creech from the Jefferson Starship releases a, a self titled solo record. And Steel Eye Span close out the year. Ten-Man Mop or Reservoir Butler Rides Again, which we could call this episode that, you know, if you want. What an insane, insane year. It was a crazy year, and there were some other albums that were released that we don't have dates for, like Nina Simone released an album, Taj Mahal released an album, John Lee Hooker released an album. Especially when you look at the significance of some of the releases that are on this long list. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't know where the fuck these came out, but right in the middle of it, my eyes go right to it. It's a debut from John Prine. Hello in there, John Prine. And B.B. King live in Cook County Jail is on that list. It's a big list, and there's a ton, <laughs> a ton of stuff on here. Maybe we should come back and do an addendum just about this list of unattributed releases. Because there's just too many names. We could just go on for another hour, which mm -hmm. I don't think either of us need to do right now. But that was a fun list, man. Seriously, 1971 is an amazing year in music. And it's a year worth researching if you are a fan of rock and roll because you will learn a lot from this year. Just the list that we went over will keep you wrapped up for months in music. Since we're putting the wraps on 1971, let's come back to the present times couple neat things are going on. And first off, uh, we would like to remind any of you that are out there that are business owners who are looking for an emerging podcast to invest your digital advertising dollars in. 
Uh, I know it sounds like we're joking, but we're serious. If you have a business, especially if you're a web business, and you want to find out more about that, please reach out to us and send us an email at our regular email address, imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. Or maybe you have a friend who has a cool business and maybe they're looking for a way to plug into something like what we do here on the podcast. So we would welcome more sponsorship from any of you. And as always, we like to thank our friends at Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapo for their ongoing support of the imbalanced history of rock and roll. And we have two big announcements. You want to take a swipe at what's going on in April here, buddy boy? I will. As a fan of this particular genre of music, we have decided to do Punk Rock Month, which I am really, really stoked about because we've done a few episodes on punk rock, different aspects in the early days, but there's so much to explore and there's so much to learn about punk rock that we uh, thought we would uh, dedicate a whole month to that glorious, glorious movement of music in the rock and roll family tree. April is Punk Rock Month. On the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll podcast. So tell a friend, <laughs> tell your punker who's still got the, you know, he's still got the the, the punk hairdo. The mohawk. Well, one of the things we talk about on an ongoing basis, partner, is uh, listener user feedback. We want to hear from people all the time. And, and from that conversation, which is great, by the way, thank you for those of you who participate regularly. We, we do love hearing from you. And July will be Listener Episode Month here on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll, featuring four new episodes suggested by you, the audience. And hopefully it'll work out this way. We want to get each of the members who suggested these episodes to be part of the episode. And, and and to do like a, a Zoom call with us uh, so we can talk about it and, and get their input on the topic of discussion. If you've been sending stuff into imbalancehistory at gmail.com or uh, you put stuff on the Facebook, we're making a list and we'll be reaching back to those episodes that we're putting into the month of July, which is listener episode month on the podcast. So to recap, April is punk rock month on the imbalance history. July will be Listener Episode Appreciation Month with four new episodes suggested by you. It's going to be fun, Marcus. Yeah, a different is. kind of uh, adventure for both of us. I'm looking forward to it because the suggestions have been fantastic and the ideas are really neat. We'll remind you to call your mother and stay in touch on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are the Imbalance History, and we thank our friends at Pantheon Podcasts uh, our uh, network, which is growing, man, a lot of new podcasts on the network lately. Yeah. I, I know you've noticed it too. So uh, check them out. And as always, don't forget our website, imbalancehistory.com. A lot of stuff going to start happening there with uh, a lot more blog stuff, uh, interviews and stories and inter and reviews of books and whatnot. So, so that's it, man. 1971. It changed me, man. It Cha really did. It changed the world. This year changed the world. And put rock as a business, as an entity, and as an art form on different trajectories, which we will continue to explore every time we get together in person or on Zoom. So for now, signing off, I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And this is the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Ninety-two percent of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. Ninety-two percent because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. Ninety-two percent stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.